0: the thing that makes Boba Fett extra cool in this episode is he's riding on a giant pink brontosaurus. So... (laughs) Welcome to this hilarious holographic holiday episode of Super Sci-Fi Party, the only podcast where we talk exclusively about fun science fiction movies, TV shows, and more. No post-apocalyptic downer sci-fi allowed. My name is Todd Kay, and with me as always is my cookie-baking card-making, ice-skating, snowflaking, Santa-bell-shaking co-host and brother, Scott K. How are you doing this fine December evening, Scott?
1: Uh, doing well, not good quite living up to that intro, though.
0: Ho, ho, ho! Today, we're going to be talking about the infamous, the frightening, the legendary, the Star Wars Holiday Special. This 98-minute Star Wars-themed holiday variety show aired on CBS Television on November seventeenth, 1978. This puts it after Star Wars A New Hope and before Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. Scott, what was competing with the Star Wars Holiday Special when it originally aired in 1978?
1: See, this list got easier because there were only like three primary networks at that point. And on ABC, we had The Love Boat. And on NBC, Different
0: Strokes. They ruled the world. Yes, they did. The Star Wars Holiday Special was written by Pat Proft, Leonard Ripps, Bruce Villanch, Rod Warren, and Mitzi Welch. You know, when something is created by committee, it's got to be great. <laughs> it was directed by Steve Binder, who is best known for directing Diana Ross Live in Central Park, the T.A.M.I. Show, which was a live concert special, hmm. and Elvis Presley's 1968 comeback special. Nice. Are we starting to get hints already as to why things might have gone awry with this special? No, it sounds awesome. It's directed by a person who's only directed music specials. <laughs> the Star Wars Holiday Special starred Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Harrison Ford as Han Solo, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia Organa, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca, and the voice of James Earl Jones as Darth Vader. Also, we had R2-D2. R2-D2. Sounds like the correct cast so far, right? Yes, it does. But I continue. Who did they cast to be in a special created from the most cutting-edge sci-fi film of the decade? Who are the young superstars that can stand proudly alongside of the new young Star Wars cast? Who are these cutting-edge tastemakers, you ask? Well, B. Arthur the Golden Girl, of course. (laughs) And Zach Mina. Art Kearney from the 1950s black and white series, The Honeymooners. Nice. So and Don, Harvey Corman, the white-haired comedy star from The Carol Burdett Show as Krellman, and Chef it, Gourmanda and or Morphean. <laughs> I mean, who else would you get, right? I'm surprised yeah. they didn't cast Bing Crosberry or Rosemary Clooney. <laughs> we also had Mickey Borton as Mala. Paul Gale as Itchy That's real folks Pat Maloney as Wait for it Lumpy Also real And Diane Carroll As Mermia Holographic Wow (laughs) Yes that is her official character name (laughs) Mermia Holographic Wow Mermia Holographic Wow 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 There is just so much to unpack With just the main cast list alone Like, why are there characters named Itchy and Lumpy in a Star Wars show? There's so much to say about casting here, but we're going to break it down as each person appears in the show instead of doing it all up front. Well, before we dive into the plot, let's talk about the Star Wars Holiday Special as a concept. If you are familiar with Star Wars fans' reception to the show, uh, author David Hosted called it the worst atrocity ever committed to the Star Wars fantasy universe in his 2004 book, What were they thinking? The 100 dumbest events in television history. Carrie Fisher once joked that in exchange for recording the audio commentary for the 2004 DVD release of the original trilogy, she asked Lucas for a copy of the special quote, so that I could, you know, have something for parties for when I wanted everyone to leave. (laughs) Believe it or not, when the special first aired, reviews were pretty good, but Star Wars fans consider it to be an abomination. That would be uh, old fans and current fans. All Mm -hmm. consider it to be an abomination.
1: See, I would have thought the older fans might have liked it just because it was fresh at the time. I'm
0: sure some fans did, but uh, hate has only grown for it over the years. True. So the first question is why did they do it? They were in the time between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, arguably two of the greatest sci-fi films of all time. So why did they do a cheesy holiday variety special? What do you think, Scott? Uh, I guess a big money grab. I think you're kind of right. Starwars.fandom.com summed it up the best when they wrote, Near the end of 1977, various Star Wars-themed variety segments, such as those on Donnie and Marie and The Richard Pryor Show, we need to find those, had brought a surge in ticket sales for the original film, which was still in release in theaters. Additionally, Lucasfilm had been under pressure from various licensees with ideas for products, among them CBS, who suggested a full-length variety special. Amongst this climate, George Lucas became convinced that such a project would sustain interest in the franchise until the release of The Empire Strikes Back in 1980. (laughs) Publicity director Charles Lippincott told Vanity Fair in 2008, we wanted something that was going to make us different in variety shows. We didn't want the same old, same old. Well, this was definitely not the same old, same old. For those too young to remember, variety TV shows were programs that featured a variety of talent, thus the clever name. For example, a show might have a band perform, then a commercial break, then a juggler would perform, then a commercial break, then a comedy skit, then a commercial break, and so on. So this was the format, into which they tried to shoehorn the young Star Wars universe. The whole concept of a Star Wars holiday variety show was questionable from the beginning. That's why we've come up with Top 10 Alternative Ideas for Star Wars Holiday Specials.
1: Number 10. It's a Wonderful Life Day. Number 9. The 12 Rays of Christmas. Number 8. I'll Be Chrome for Christmas. That one's for our droid friends. Number
0: 7. Number 7. Up on the housetop, we've installed scanner reflecting panels that stop the Empire from detecting our rebel hideouts so they don't send in stormtroopers to reduce our entire family to ash on Christmas Eve.
1: <laughs> Number six, Rudolph the Red Nose Red Guard.
0: Nah, 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 nah. Wah, wah. Number five, I saw Kylo strangling Santa Claus. <laughs> Number four, the little drummer droid. Number three. Anakin roasting on an open fire. <laughs> number two, all I want
1: for Christmas is Grogu.
0: Baby Yoda. And number one, grandma got run over by a bantha. Ho, ho, ho. So I guess it's time we get to it. The show starts with Han Solo and Chewbacca on the Millennium Falcon. Han is taking Chewie to the Wookiee homeworld Kashyyyk so Chewie can be with his family for a holiday called Life Day. The Falcon runs across two Imperial Star Destroyers, Bahan makes the jump to hyperspace so they get away. So I already find this story to be highly suspect. I mean, when we start, The Empire Strikes Back, the Rebels are hiding underground on a snow planet, so the Empire can't find them, but they're going to risk the Millennium Falcon and two of their top people just so one of them can be home for pseudo-Christmas? Not bloody likely. (laughs) No, probably not. So meanwhile, on the Wookiee home Kashyyyk we see Chewbacca's treehouse home. Now, I'm a music and audio video guy, but you are the visual artist, Scott, and you have a university degree in art. So tell us, what do you think of the matte paintings of the outside of Chewbacca's home and the trees in the Star Wars Holiday Special?
1: I mean, these matte paintings are just spectacular examples of uh, mediocrity. Uh, I don't know. When, When we first started watching it... It looked like we were starting out with an animated cartoon section, you know, from the 70s. Then all of a sudden they zoom in and they're like, oh no, this is supposed to be real life, a live action shot.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a cartoon as well. You could say a few things about the resolution being different then and whatnot, but we were rocking a 27-inch TV or at least a 25 or something. So Yeah,
1: I mean, to be fair, that that is true. The resolution was way lower and... I did do a test on my computer and shrunk it down to what would be normal TV pixel resolution. And it, it looked much better. It was barely the size of a postage stamp that, that made it look good. but
0: Yeah, I think they just didn't have the budget. <laughs> no, no, they didn't. So inside Chewbacca's poorly drawn house, we discover Mala, Chewie's wife, Itchy, Chewie's father, mm. and Lumpy, Chewie's son. <laughs> Did George Lucas just have zero control over what happened in this special? Who approved the names Itchy and Lumpy for Chewbacca's male family members? Seriously. Uh, <sighs> the writers from Sesame Street? I, <laughs> I, I guess so. Uh, the director of the 1968 Elvis Presley comeback special, I guess. Ooh. I don't know, somebody. <laughs> Anyhow, Lumpy is playing with a wooden X-Wing fighter that Itchy carved for him. And Lumpy is making noises as he plays. Bad noises. (laughs) I still have trouble believing that four-time Academy Award-winning sound designer and the original sound designer for the Star Wars universe and one of my personal heroes, Ben Burt, actually created the Wookiee sounds here, even though he's listed as the main sound designer for the special. The sounds Little Lumpy is making as he flies his toy ship around is something like a bear growl being run through a guitar distortion pedal backwards through a kazoo. (laughs) It's beyond awful. But I digress. Lumpy's mother, Mala, sends Lumpy outside to take the trash out. Mala is preparing Life Day dinner for the family, so she's stressing out about Chewbacca's lateness. In order to distract the family, Itchy pops a data tape into a holographic table display, and Lumpy watches as crazy space-age acrobats appear and begin to perform. Oh, and that sound indicates that this is one of my top three fun moments in the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh, and that sound indicates that this is one of Scott's top three fun moments in the Star Wars Holiday Special. So why don't you kick us off, Scott?
1: All right, so we got to do a little backstory on this one first. In the original Star Wars, or what I'm calling the original, the New Hope hope. Episode 4, there's a scene where they're flying in the Millennium Falcon, and Chewie and R2-D2 are playing some kind of animated holographic 3D battle chess. Harry Potter wizard's (laughs) chess. Yes, and somehow inside of Chewie's home, they also have one of these tables and you know, it just makes me jealous because you know, I want to have the holographic 3D table that'll play games and show movies and acrobats and that kind of stuff. It's just very fun tech.
0: I have to totally agree. I think uh, having the table is cool, although the table in the movie had far better special effects and quote-unquote holograms than the table (laughs) in the TV special, which seemed to be using uh, music video effects from the 70s. (laughs) Oh, very true. Put one picture on top of another and then fade one so it kind of looks a little bit translucent. But the whole idea of it is fun. It's absolutely fun. And I seem to recall in the 1980s or maybe early 90s, there was some kind of video game that actually had a flat surface. It wasn't an upright cabinet. It was more like a table. And it had some kind of holographic, quote unquote, projector on it that showed an image that looked like a hologram that popped up on the surface. And it was one of those games that's more like a choose-your-own-adventure where it just triggers a video clip and another video clip, kind of like Dragon's Lair, but not animated. Mm-hmm. It was live action, and then I remember there was a sequel to that game. One of them, I think, was the Old West, or and then one of them took place in space. or made, No, it had something to do with time travel. Anyway, we're going to put that one to you, our listeners. If you know the name of that video game with the quote-unquote holographic projector on it, or its sequel, give us a shout-out on Super Sci-Fi Party over at Twitter, or hit us up via email at party at supersci-fiparty.com. And the first person who hits us up with the name, I will mention your name on our next podcast. The reason I like the whole crazy acrobat scene is to start with the acrobats are backed by what I can only describe as demented acrobat music from the quote future. (laughs) The costumes during the acrobat scene look like something out of a neon nightmare. They're so bad. They're great. They look like a demented marriage of Hello Kitty and Pennywise, the evil clown from It. Oh. This is definitely so bad. It's good territory. <laughs> anyway, after this crazy holographic acrobat show is done on the table, that sound indicates that this is one of Scott's top three fun moments in the Star Wars holiday special. Take it away, Scott.
1: All right, this moment is fun for me just because of the uh, the retro tech that's involved. This is, what, 1978. They have this computer that Chewie's wife, Mala, is using to try to check a radar or transmission to see if where Han Solo and
0: Chewie are. So after the acrobats, she starts to check a computer.
1: Yes. And... It is really just this computer and and the nostalgia for me personally for it that makes it fun. It's like this very big, chunky bit of plastic on the bottom that has a keyboard embedded into it. Then imagine kind of a a lumpy mound on top of that with a little 6-inch CRT screen put into it. And this is the level of technology they have in the Galaxy far, far away.
0: And didn't you say that it was some brand of computer you recognized? Ah, uh, this one—it's like a knockoff
1: of an old PET computer, PET, which
0: stands for Personal Electronic Computer.
1: <laughs> yes, the computers of the '80s were great. I didn't know what T stood for. It. <laughs> um, what, what's really enjoyable about this is they, uh, because it's got such a tiny screen on it. They, they superimposed or made up or faked some kind of 32-inch looking flat screen that kind of hovers above it so you can see what's on the screen.
0: It really looks like a flat screen TV, and I'm wondering where they got that in 1978.
1: Yeah, probably a projector at that
0: point. but It could be. Mala is getting even more concerned about why Chewbacca is late, so she goes to a bookshelf and opens up a hidden Rebel transmitter which they used to contact Luke Skywalker and R2-D2. Now, I'll give the show credit. The set for the Rebel Hangar isn't bad. However, clearly, no one on the show had faith in it because they keep shooting out copious amounts of stage fog to cover it up. There's an X-Wing part that is shooting out cloud after cloud of stage fog. You can actually see Mark Hamill starting to look annoyed by all the fog. Anyhow, Luke assures Mala that Chewie will arrive for Life Day Even if he's late for reasons, I don't really understand. The next scene starts in a trader shop on Kashyyyk where we see a shopkeeper played by Art Carney trying to sell things to a disgruntled Imperial officer. Now I have to say Art Carney is not half bad as the trader. The material he has to work with is a bit cringeworthy at times. And the actor who plays the Imperial officer, well, (laughs) it could very well have been his first acting job ever based on his completely wooden performance. But Art Carney is not half bad. For some reason, Mala video calls the shop, and she speaks to the trader, who speaks back to her in code, and tells her that Han Solo is bringing Chewbacca home. I don't really understand the point of that scene or why she called the trader, because she already knew Han Solo was bringing Chewbacca home. But uh...
1: Uh, it seems like the premise was she was checking on a delivery. But but I will say, Art's character, the trader, I. I agree with you. I think he would fit in quite well as just a regular Star Wars character. Uh,
0: Yeah. Yep. I do think that. I think with a little bit of change in his dialogue, he could actually fit into the Star Wars universe, which is kind of surprising for a guy who is most famous for his role as Ed Norton in The Honeymooners from the (laughs) 1950s in black and white. Good for you, Art Carney. Then the story cuts to an interior shot of Darth Vader and an underling on board an Imperial Star Destroyer. A rebel ship has been spotted in the area. The officer tells Vader that a blockade and curfew has been ordered, and Vader tells him that they must find the rebels even if they have to search every house. Now it is blatantly apparent that this scene uses footage from Star Wars A New Hope with different voiceovers dubbed over top of it. You can clearly see the Imperial officer's lips moving out of sync with the new voiceovers, and it's pretty funny.
1: I still think he's just practicing his ventriloquism.
0: (laughs) It Could be. Pretty much every scene involving the Millennium Falcon or Darth Vader or any kind of battle scene in this uh, holiday special consists of reused footage from A New Hope. So it's kind of sad, really.
1: (laughs) It it is kind of sad, but... I mean, all like you said, all these spaceship shots, any kind of battle scene or fight is all, all taken from the movie, which I think is why the effects are better than what they could have been, you know, if
0: they had tried to make it themselves. Reminds me a little bit of the original Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> where they would reuse scenes because the TV show budget is different from a film budget. So you would see Cylons fly up to the right corner of the screen and get shot. And then in the next one, the B-shot would fly up to the left corner and you could see it. Was, they just reversed the negative. <laughs> so he would fly up the other way. So, so I, you're saying they didn't do that individually each time? So, so I guess it's been done before on TV, but... So disillusioned. I was still hoping for something original. Anyway, back on Kashyyyk, Mala has switched on a screen in her kitchen and is attempting to cook along with a cooking show hosted by a four-armed chef played by Harvey Corman. For those not familiar with Harvey Korman, he was most famous for being on The Carol Burnett Show, which was a variety sketch comedy show, kind of like Saturday Night Live. Now, Harvey was quite often funny on The Carol Burnett Show, but wow, is he out of his element in the Star Wars universe.
1: Mm, Definitely.
0: I think this cooking segment is supposed to be hilarious just because it's a man playing a female alien chef. Let's just say that it definitely has not aged well. I did not crack a single smile once during this whole segment. Sometimes it's not so bad it's good. Sometimes bad is just bad. What did you think of our forearm chef, Scott?
1: I think uh, Harvey never saw Star Wars the movie. <laughs> I would bet money on it. I think they called him up and they're like, hey, we need you to do a sketch for us. It's going to be based on Star Wars. Then Harvey's like, uh, what's that? Like, oh, some space movie, it's all right, just do something, it'll be great. And then he just made up some stuff, possibly on the fly, and
0: oh. It certainly seemed like it.
1: Very cringeworthy.
0: Back on the Millennium Falcon, Han and Chewie come out of hyperspace to find an Imperial blockade. They engage TIE fighters in battle. Again, the actual battle shots are reused footage from Star Wars A New Hope, but it's a (laughs) battle nonetheless. Back at Chewbacca's residence, an Imperial officer appears on screen and announces to all viewers that due to suspected rebel activity on Kashyyyk, the Empire has declared martial law and set up a blockade around the planet. No ships will be permitted to take off or land until further notice. Just then, there was a knock at the door. It turns out the visitor is just Sandan, the trader who had come bearing life day gifts for the family. Now, I don't know actually if it's Saw and Dan... Uh, the character Art Carney plays that I'm calling the Traitor, uh, it was listed as S-A-U-N-D-A-N-N, but I don't recall them actually saying the name at any point during the special.
1: Yeah, if they said the name, I don't remember hearing it. So I'm
0: going to call him the Traitor. Anyhow, the Traitor gives Lumpy a transmitter kit for Life Day that he must assemble. He gives Mala a portable holo player And for Grandpa Itchy, he's brought something really uh, (laughs) special. Oh, yes, it is special. He gives Grandpa Itchy a special proton pack for his mind evaporator unit. Oh, and that sound indicates that this is one of my top three fun moments in the Star Wars Holiday Special. What Grandpa Itchy actually receives is some kind of virtual reality program, which is highly suggested to be sexual in nature. I still can't believe the writers, director, and producers thought this would be appropriate material for a children's holiday special. <laughs> George Lucas has often said that the original Star Wars A New Hope was made for children. Uh, and apparently they thought not only is it appropriate for children, but it's also appropriate for children on a holiday special. It is special. It is definitely special. Anyhow, the, the trader gives Itchy what they're calling a proton pack, quote-unquote, Uh, which he puts into his virtual reality unit and he lowers the the helmet part of the virtual reality rig down onto his head and then he sees crazy green sexy monkeys they're swimming all over in front of his view and singer (laughs) Diane Carroll sings Oh yes, I can feel my creation Oh yes, we are excited Just relax Now we can have a good time I'm your fantasy I'm your experience Experience me. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that happens. Yeah, that happens for way too long. It's like five minutes or something of that. I, I don't even know what to say. You have anything more to say about holiday virtual reality sea monkey sex fantasies? Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm just thankful that they didn't show more shots of Itchy from the outside view. Uh.
0: Nothing, nothing below his face. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. know. They, they don't ask, don't tell uh, on occasion.
1: They would pan out to show him inside the what'd you say, the mind evaporator? That's what it's called. And he would be twitching around and making noises. And you're just like, Oh, what oh, yeah. is... oh no, more
0: of those great Wookiee sound effects.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> if only they were. Yeah, <laughs> 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 oh, anyway, I just. The reason I uh-huh. think it's fun is because I can't believe it's in a children's holiday special. <laughs> That's the old th- kind of thing that could only happen back in the 70s and 80s, <laughs> where somebody would be <laughs> like, you know what this show needs is virtual reality six. Uh-huh. As Chewbacca's family are uh, enjoying their gifts <laughs> in alert sounds, and it turns out to be a video call from Princess Leia and C-3PO. Yay. So they're just kind of shoehorning in all the popular characters from Star Wars A New Hope. Even if there's not really any reason for them all to be contacted or to be contacting Chewie's family. They're like, oh, I have nothing to do with what's happening today and I don't know where they are or what's happening to them, but I assume they're going to be fine. Which is basically what Princess Leia says. She basically reassures the family and signs off.
1: (laughs) Yeah, all these little cut-ins kind of remind me of like the uh, COVID web videos we get nowadays from shows. It is like a massive Zoom call on a bunch of different screens. Oh, so many screens. If you're calling in to the Chewbacca household, you have your own personal
0: screen that they're going to talk to you on. That's right. They're like, oh, there's Todd's screen. There's Scott's screen. They will never reuse a screen. Back aboard the Falcon, Han Solo has managed to lose the Imperial ships and decides they better land north of Chewbacca's home, where there is less Imperial traffic, and walk to the site, which is, of course, Chewbacca's house. Lumpy hears the falcon overhead and runs to the door, only to be surprised by two armed stormtroopers. No. The stormtroopers, an Imperial officer, and an Imperial guard all enter Chewbacca's home. (laughs) Dun-dun-dun. The guards demand to see how the holo player worked, so the traitor turns on the screen in front of him depicting a music video by the band Jefferson Starship. Yeah. For those who don't know, the band was originally called Jefferson Airplane, and they were a psychedelic 1960s hippie band with the hit songs White Rabbit and Somebody to Love. In an attempt to update their image, the band reformed in 1974 as Jefferson Starship, and then again in 1984 as just Starship. Can you imagine the Beavis and Butthead-like logic behind putting Jefferson Starship in this special? Uh, hey Beavis, huh. This is Star Wars and uh, Jefferson Starship has Starship in their name. They'd be perfect. (laughs) Okay. Worst Beavis and Butthead impression ever. But you get my
1: point. No, you should do the rest of the episode in that voice.
0: I don't think I could. (laughs) I have to say this is definitely the worst Jefferson Starship song I've ever heard. Uh, it's also the only Jefferson Starship song I've ever heard. So I guess, therefore, it's also the best <laughs> Jefferson Starship song I've ever heard. The best, worst, and only. But uh, I like them as Jefferson Airplane, and I like them as Starship, but this in-between version is kind of cringeworthy.
1: It is, but I, I do wonder, you know, do you, do you think they have a copy of the video? Because it is a music video. It was, you know, got them on primetime TV TV. Oh. And attached to a big movie franchise, you know, so they probably got this video lying around somewhere, don't you think?
0: Well, they're getting way up there in age by now, so they're probably telling their grandkids and great-grandkids, hey, I'm in Star Wars. I was in Star Wars. (laughs) Like, we didn't see you in any of the movies. Oh, no, the holiday special. that only aired once and never again. It was never put on DVD or videotape. Something I did notice when
1: they were doing the fake Star Wars crawl, it is listed as uh, episode four and a half.
0: Wow. So so they got cred somewhere. Well, you know, I was in Rocky three and three quarters. <laughs> I played uh, Dolph 2, a slightly more mushy version of Dolph Lundgren. Cool, cool. After the uh, rocking song, the Imperials <laughs> order the traitor to leave the house, which he does. A stormtrooper heads up to search Lumpy's room. Lumpy acts up, and the Imperials warn Mala to keep him quiet. In order to accomplish this, Mala leads Lumpy over to a small viewer. Yep, another screen. (laughs) Where he begins to watch a program containing one of Captain Kazan's rebel log reports about an adventure his father was involved in. Okay, so this is where we watch an animated short film. But I'm very confused. Is it supposed to be reality or a short cartoon and if it's just a childish cartoon, who is it about? its I mean, it's about Chewbacca and the Rebels who exist in the reality. Uh, if you're lumpy, I'm confused.
1: Oh, come on. We watch animated cartoons
0: about our family all the time. About the things they're doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, what kind of animation style is this? Because I would call it uh, sketches made on the back of a high schooler's notebook style. But uh, what is the official animation style, Scott?
1: I believe that is officially the sixth grade cartoon class. Oh.
0: <laughs> Something along that line. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but when I was in grade school, I drew the animated section of the Star <laughs> Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> yes, it's me. No.
1: Good job. Uh, you made it on TV.
0: But it is terrible enough that it could have been drawn by me. Um, the one thing it really has going for it is it's the first appearance of Boba Fett, which when you told me that when you were watching the show, it kind of blew my mind. <clears throat> Because I thought about it, and I was like, hey, Boba Fett is not in A New Hope, which I had mm-hmm. kind of forgotten. But he is in the Holiday Special, which comes before Empire Strikes Back. So this is his first official entry into the Star Wars universe.
1: Yep. And in this, Darth Vader even calls him the best bounty hunter in the galaxy.
0: Only because he hasn't met me yet. <laughs> And the thing that makes Boba Fett extra cool in this episode is he's riding on a giant pink brontosaurus. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) There is one thing I do actually love about this animated section. um, That's Princess Leia. For some reason, the rest of the art's crap, but she has super expressive eyes. For example, check out her look of concern when Luke and the droids crash into planet Jell-O. Uh. Now, why are they crashing into a Jell-O planet? I don't know. (laughs) yeah they're supposed to be splashing
1: down they hit the jello and it slowly oozes like, them in it's just like it's they weird
0: hit a jello mold on someone's holiday table but <laughs> and yeah once the cartoon is over lumpy watches an instructional video about how to put together his new transmitter this section again stars Harvey Corman uh, we've kind of gone from uh, bad to worse here <laughs> He seems to be embodying some kind of unfunny early version of Max Hedrum. It's bad. Yeah, he's kind of a droid that's batteries are wearing down. And then it jitters, so they cut, do some jump cut, cuts of him. Ugh. That's enough said about this scene. This is probably the least funny scene in the whole show, and in this show, that's really saying something. Bye, Harvey. Why? Downstairs, the Imperials receive a special message on a vid screen asking them to look at the horrible conditions on Tatooine. (laughs) This comes completely out of left field. It makes no sense. And it's clearly just an excuse to shoehorn in a scene from Mos Eisley Cantina. Oh, and that sound indicates that this is one of Scott's top three fun moments in the Star Wars Holiday Special. So take it away, Scott.
1: Yeah, I just I love the intro for this. It's just great. Like he said, there, there's a, a news bulletin telling people that they have to watch the video if they're part of the Empire and strongly recommend it, even if you're not. And then the actual intro of it is time now for Life on Tatooine brought to viewers everywhere in the hope that our own lives will be uplifted by comparison and enriched with the gratitude of relief. This transmission is unrehearsed and unedited and is hereby begun without further comment as to its lack of moral value. And then they zoom into the Cantina scene, which of course has the Cantina song from the original Star
0: Wars. <laughs> and
1: the uh, scene progresses. It does have the introduction of B. Arthur's character, is what well, a bartender slash owner of the place. She's interacting with Harvey. Oh, Harvey. Uh, I will give props to the makeup guy for Harvey. They they did like a prosthetic on his nose. It's kind of a, a beak shape. And it just, whoever did it, they did a beautiful job of blending it into his actual skin tone and everything. It's just, it's really well done. It really is very surprising.
0: So it's the grandma from, uh, what's that show with the greens? <laughs> <laughs> on Disney... Yes, but the guys from Michigan, Big City Greens, so it's the grandma from Big City Greens, is what you're saying. Yes, yeah, but th- that's
1: really well done. But that's not the part that's that I like the most about it. It's that they it's his hairdo. <laughs> yeah, don't look above the nose. That's
0: yeah. He drinks he drinks his alcoholic beverages through the top of his head, and it really looks like they they took a wig, put a cup under it, and then cut a hole in the top of the wig.
1: Come on, everybody has a volcano for a head.
0: Yeah, oh, well, I know I do, but it just looks weird on film.
1: But after they get past that, they start going around and she's interacting with all the other patrons of the bar and almost all of them look like they're directly from the original Star Wars cantina scene and it's a, a very nice callback, gives you good feelings about it if you enjoyed that scene originally.
0: Well, my research indicates that they actually are all the creatures from the original cantina, plus two new creatures that um, are kind of lacking if you see them, but uh, mm-hmm. they, they had to make them new for the show. Um, in the scene, as Scott said, the cantina owner is played by Golden Girl B. Arthur, who is told of an imperial curfew that has just gone into effect, so she must clear the bar of patrons. It surprised the heck out of me, but B. Arthur is great as the bartender slash cantina owner. That was a total surprise. We were making fun of the fact that the hip young sci-fi universe cast the Golden Girl in their TV special, but she was actually great. She played it totally straight. There was no smirking at the camera like Harvey Corbin or even sometimes Art Gardy. She took it seriously and it made for the least embarrassing guest performance in the special. Now, granted, breaking into song seemed out of place in the Star Wars universe, but even so, it was the least out of place song in the special, in my opinion.
1: They did something interesting with it. It seemed kind of original, but then they would interweave uh, melodies from the original Cantina song. Slowed way down, but... That's true.
0: It did a different key. Yep. Upstairs in Chewbacca's house, Lumpy finally puts a plan into motion using his new transmitter uses it to trick the Imperials into thinking they're being told to return to base, return to base. (laughs) This fools all but one of them. The last stormtrooper discovers Lumpy's ruse and smashes his transmitter. Lumpy runs downstairs and outside onto the treehouse deck with the stormtrooper giving chase. They arrive outside just as Han Solo and Chewbacca finally arrive. Chewbacca jumps in front of Lumpy to protect him as the stormtrooper raises his weapon. The trooper doesn't see Han Solo, so Han sneaks up on him and trips him, causing him to break through the railing and fall off the treehouse, presumably falling to his death. Happy life day, everybody. I just murdered a man on your porch. (laughs) Yay! He deserved it. Han Solo and Chewie go inside, and it's a happy reunion all around. For some reason, Han Solo is in a really, really big hurry to get out of there, which seemed odd to me. I know they said he wanted to go get the Falcon, but they just hid the Falcon in the woods, so I don't understand. But he literally spends about two minutes with Chewie's family before starting to leave. Uh, As he's leaving, he gives Chewie a big hug, which kind of stuck out to me because I'm going to put this question to you, faithful listeners. Is there ever another scene in any Star Wars movie where Han Solo full-on hugs Chewbacca? Let us know on our Super Sci-Fi Party Twitter or email us at Party at dot com. Have we ever seen them hug? I really don't know. Anyhow, after they embrace, Han Solo leaves Chewbacca's house. Not long after, there's another knock at the door, and it's the traitor again, coming to check on the family. He really does seem to always be around. Yeah, he's very loyal to the family. An Imperial officer suddenly appears on a vid screen... And he's trying to find the missing stormtrooper, the one Han Solo just murdered on the porch. (laughs) And the trader tells him the stormtrooper stole food from the house and disappeared into the woods. Because that sounds like a likely story. When you work for the Empire and have all your needs met, and all food and clothing and transportation all supplied, that he's going to suddenly steal food from Wookiees and run into the woods of Kashyyyk.
1: Maybe it was donuts. Mm -hmm, Donuts.
0: Now the story works and the Imperial ends their video chat, but what I want to know is, didn't the Imperial see Chewbacca? At the start of the video call, he specifically says it's a two-way communication. It's a two-way video call. So how does the Imperial not notice a seven-foot-tall Wookiee standing there that they're searching for? Plot armor! Anyhow, the ruse works and the call is ended. Everything is wrapped up nicely the reunited Wookiee family, all gathering together with lighted snow globes. The end. But it's not really the end. Chewbacca's family suddenly appears in burgundy choir robes. Uh, sure. (laughs) As they float through outer space. The end. But it's not the end because then a whole bunch of Wookiees also wearing choir robes walk in a line through outer space and into the heart of a dwarf star. (laughs) The music hits a crescendo and we fade to black. The end. But it's not really the end because we fade back in on a bunch of choir wookies standing around at the base of a giant tree. Somehow, R2-D2 and C-3PO are there, even though they were never depicted as traveling towards Kashyyyk in the whole entire special. Then Princess Leia... Luke Skywalker and Han Solo appear. What? (laughs) Yeah. Han Solo left in the Millennium Falcon, so I don't know why he's there again. Leia and Luke were never shown traveling in any capacity, so this is illogical. Does not compute. Does not compute.
1: Okay, so the, the Wookiees have these lighted snow globes that can
0: teleport them to the Tree of Life. Where they first walk through outer space and into a star.
1: Yes, so if they have this technology or power... Why did they need to break a blockade? Why didn't they just hold up the snow globe and transport (laughs) to the the Tree of Life?
0: (laughs) Why did they have to walk through the Dwarf Star? Like Harry Potter trying to walk through platform, whatever, nine and a half.
1: Yeah, it looked like a bunch of lemmings in line going to commit suicide (laughs) into a star. They were all wearing the uh, robes and, you know.
0: Anyhow, Leia gives a speech about fighting evil and loving each other, and it's finally the end. But it's not the end because the music starts and Princess Leia Organa starts to sing. I'm not kidding. Oh, and that alarm indicates that this is one of my top fun moments in the Star Wars holiday special. Uh, I don't have much to say about this other than it's Princess Leia singing. And they actually put words to part of the Star Wars theme. (laughs) It's awesome fun, but also maybe a little sad because of missing Carrie Fisher. Anyhow, the song transitions into an instrumental where we see a montage of Star Wars moments, which is basically a big commercial for Star Wars A New Hope, which is kind of the whole point of the special. And finally, it's the end. But it's not really the end, because now we find ourselves back in Chewbacca's treehouse again, and we see the family holding hands as they bow their heads, presumably praying before their life day meal. And that's the end. (laughs) but it's not uh just kidding that's that's actually the end it's actually over and credits roll so what are your thoughts on the star wars holiday special sky
1: uh surprisingly i i actually did find it still fun It, it was very cringe worthy at points but overall for me anyways even this many years later it did the trick it would have been a very nice holdover for for me. Of course, I would have been like I don't know seven at the time it came out. But
0: wow, to <laughs> think I was only born fifteen years after you.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is even weird. though I'm your older brother. Nah, time travel, man.
0: It's because I walk through a dwarf star every morning through outer space. He's <laughs> <case> we young. <laughs> My first thought is Chewbacca is a smuggler is off on adventures with han solo but somehow has a family with a wife and a son and his father lives with him he takes care of him how the heck did he pull that off
1: (laughs) well you know this is just star wars the movie everything he's doing there the rebellion that's just what he does on the weekends during the week you know he's devoted father lives at home on
0: Kashyyyk, (laughs) flies across the galaxy. Exactly. I mean, Han Solo, Leia, Luke Skywalker, everybody else is single and their whole life is devoted to the rebellion. But somehow he gets to uh, just be a part-time smuggler and rebel. He gets to have a rich home life on Kashyyyk. Yeah, you can see Mala nagging him going,
1: oh, going out with the guys again? When's this rebellion going to end? Jeez.
0: At one point when we were watching, you commented about how many screens the Wookiees had in their house. <laughs> as if they had a lot. <laughs> Uh, and I started thinking about it. We have two televisions, at least two laptop computers, two desktop computers, both with double monitors. Two iPads, two cell phones. I have a Mattel electronic football with a screen. I mean, we have screens galore ourselves. <laughs> Pot to kettle,
1: yeah. But it's not 1978.
0: The Mattel electronic footballs from 1978. <laughs> All right, it's a it's a re re release. <clears throat> still, yeah, that still counts. I am impressed by the fact that they somehow had very convincing-looking flat-screen TVs in 1978. They really did. Because I don't recall seeing any of those when I was very, 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 young. Random Star Wars question that doesn't necessarily have to do with only the holiday special, but I thought of it while watching it. Um, The whole point of an R2-D2-type droid is to be a co-pilot for the X-Wing, right? And to communicate with the pilot and talk about damage and fix things and give them coordinates and whatnot. Yep. So why the heck don't they speak English? Uh, Because C-3PO would be out of a job? (laughs) Yeah, exactly (laughs) that. It makes no sense at all. They have these droids whose only job is to communicate with the pilots who all speak English. Or at least most of them speak English. And I'm like, at least they could have a line of English-speaking R2s for the English speakers. And it just, it doesn't make sense. All kinds of things in the Star Wars universe speak in English, but somehow the the R2-D2s do not. And we know it's partially because Ben Burtt, infamous sound designer... I guess I should say famous sound designer. I guess he's only infamous for this movie. (laughs) Super famous sound designer uh, had to come up with some really great sound design that made R2-D2 sound like it's speaking in English, even though it's speaking in beeps and boops. But logically, I don't know. I will say I have the easy fix for the Star Wars Holiday Special. Mm. So all Star Wars fans, listen up. Here it is. Remove the Harvey Korman sections. Boom. (laughs) Yeah, that, that really would fix it up. Just drop the Todd bomb on you. All you have to do, remove the Harvey Corman sections. No offense to Harvey Corman, because he is funny on the Carol Burnett Show and other things I've seen him in, and by reports, he's a nice he was a nice man. But if you removed his sections, somehow he ended up with all the the most cringeworthy sections. It's not going to make everything make sense and flow logically and be up to the standards of Star Wars, but it would go a long way to fixing the special plus it would make it shorter which <laughs> giving the shorter attention spans today you know that's not a bad thing so you don't
1: like just having the random shots of Wookiee life in there <laughs> just uh, uh
0: watching a cooking show or that horrible <laughs> how to put your transmitter together video the, uh. yeah so let's see it internet i want to see the uh harvey corman edit of the star wars holiday special Yep, someone needs to download it and edit him out. Send us the link. When I was researching this topic of the Star Wars Holiday Special, obviously the big idea that kept popping up was that this special was made right after Star Wars A New Hope. So that was all that existed of Star Wars Universe at the time. Many of the rules about how Star Wars must look, sound, and feel were not yet set in stone. Mm. It was all new, So we have to cut the holiday special creators some slack when looking back at it from 2020. To me as a Star Wars fan, I'm glad the Star Wars Holiday Special exists. It's weird and campy and fun. It's kind of a time capsule for the era in which Star Wars was created, which is cool. The whole premise of our podcast is that sci-fi can be fun and that maybe some fans, including ourselves, take it (laughs) a bit too seriously sometimes. If I was in charge of the Star Wars universe, which I guess would make me Disney, sweet, I would make the show canon and I would show it every December proudly on TV.
1: Yeah, they really should take better ownership of it. It it is legit property of Star Wars. I mean,
0: and it's funny. It was. It's from a time and place. It really, it just shows when Star Wars was new and fresh and they didn't really know what it was, especially people who weren't fans. Like you said, I bet Harvey Corman never saw Star Wars unless they forced him to to be in the special. But it kind of didn't seem like it. You know, imagine all the people that saw this that didn't see the movie because it wasn't Star Wars whoa back then. It was just Star Wars is that. You know that hit sci-fi movie that the sci-fi nerds love, and other people, you know, are starting to love. But it wasn't the big, oh, holy Star Wars, we hold unto thee, as the majesty of sci-fi. Right? It wasn't that. It was just a one-off sci-fi flick that got really popular, and then they're like, hey, holiday special. That's what you did back then. So I say they just own it and say, this is me. This is my high school photo of the yearbook with the zits yes. and the poofy hair. And just own it and say, this is cool. It was what it was. Let's call Disney and see. I'm sure they're, they're ready to take <laughs> our calls and be like, oh, you're the super sci-fi. What's it? Uh, yeah, click. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, they will listen to us.
0: Well, that about wraps it up for this holiday episode of Super Sci-Fi Party. If you want to learn more about the show or see our top 10 list, head over to SuperSciFiParty.com. If you have more to say about the Star Wars Holiday Special, hit us up on Twitter or via email at Party at SuperSciFiParty.com. I'm Todd Kay. I'm Scott Kay. And we're hoping you can find some time this holiday season to hold lighted snow globes <laughs> over your heads with the Wookiees you love. Happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> So, should we go back and do it all for a third time?
1: I think we should. I kind of missed up on the Wookiee cry. No!
0: (laughs) Ho, ho, ho!